I really believe that as we sing praises to God together, it gives us one of the best glimpses of what heaven's going to be like. As we are gathered with the saints from all over the world, from all over time, all through history, singing praises to the Lamb that was slain. As we sing holy, holy, holy. I I cannot wait for that time, but we don't have to fully wait, do we? As we gather together and we sing praises to the Holy One of God, we get a small glimpse of heaven. Now I'm supposed to share some story or something. (laughs) We are in a series in Genesis, uh, in the beginning, and uh, today we're going to be looking at the life of Isaac, and and specifically, we're going to be talking about God's provision, and uh, man, it's, it's a hard shift in some ways, but it's a real humbling shift to be thinking about the goodness and the holiness of God, and then to think about who we are, what's in us, what we're capable of, what we've done, what we've thought, what we've said. And the fact that God would provide for us a way of reconciliation, a way of redemption, in and of itself is an absolutely awe-striking thought. Yet He gives us those things. He gives us the opportunity to have a relationship with Him. He gives us an opportunity to be born again, a new creation. One that will live forever. He gives us all of those things, and yet yet He just pours on, doesn't He? And it's so humbling to me to think about that. To think about the things that I go to God for, asking for in my life. And He has given us so, so, so very much. He is a good Father. And it's beyond my understanding you know, when I was a little kid, Christmas time was special. It's still special. But Christmas time was special when I was a little kid, and my mom made sure Christmas time was special. She always made sure we had ridiculous amounts of presents under the tree. No matter how lean it was that year, my mom would go above and beyond and probably rack up way too much credit card debt and make sure we had a, an incredible Christmas. And there was nothing like that moment in the morning when I would rush out, you know, you couldn't get me out of bed to go to school to save your life. You know, 3 a.m. comes Christmas morning, I'm like, let's go. I'm ready. You know, I'd be, I'd be the first one out, I think, every single Christmas morning. And my mom would leave the, the tree lights on on Christmas Eve night. And that's when she would do all the wrapping and put the presents out there and probably stay up to 2 a.m. And, you know, for just for an hour later. for me. To, and I remember going out there and just sitting and staring at the tree and the presents. And just, the, you know, dreaming of what might be in those, in those boxes and, and what was going to be unwrapped. You know, and, and my mom and my dad made sure that we had more than we, had, we needed. They made sure that we were really well provided for. And when, when you're kids, we really don't think about that provision, do we? You know, hopefully you lived the kind of life where it was kind of just a foregone conclusion that things would be provided for you. Some people in here, maybe not. Some people may have had to wake up in the morning and think, I don't know if there's going to be enough to eat today. Some people have to think those things. But for me and my house, we were blessed 
to where we didn't have to worry about that, and we didn't even really think about being provided for as a kid. It just kind of happened. Well, in my life, and in my wife Kelly's life, when we were teenagers, we had a child. Now, I think most of you know that. Uh, I'm 44, Kelly is 43, and our oldest daughter is 25 and pregnant with her third child. We were kids when we uh, got pregnant with Ashley. And overnight, like overnight, we went from being provided for and not ever really thinking about it to, oh, now I need to provide. I need to provide for what was going to be my wife and my daughter and my children. Overnight, I, be, I, I was struck with this realization of this thing and this responsibility about providing. And I worked really hard to provide for my family. It was a, it was a point of, of pride in a lot of ways that, you know, I work hard to make sure my family's provided for. Most 18-year-olds aren't doing that, but I'm working hard. I'm keeping my head down. I'm doing everything I have to do to make sure my family's provided for. And that's good in a way, but it comes from a misunderstanding, doesn't it? It wasn't, unfortunately for me, until years later that I discovered where all good gifts come from. And where is that? God. We can't out-provide God. We simply cannot out-provide God. Now I want to give you a, a, a just, a, this is warning I guess. This is a sermon that's all about the goodness of God and his provision for us. This isn't one of those sermons where it's all about what we've, do, what we've been doing wrong. We could probably figure that out anyways, right? It's all about God's goodness and his abundance and his provision for us today. We're going to start off in Genesis 18 and we're going to be, we're going to be kind of backing up a little bit as we get started to talk about Isaac's life. Um, Genesis 18, we're going to start in verse 9. Before we do that, would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father God, you are indeed good. You pile on the blessings in our lives. You provide for us so much more than we could ever want, need, or desire the clothing on our backs, the food that we eat, the homes that we're in, the vehicles that we drive. You give us so much more. You give us so much more. The greatest gift, of course, that you have given us is your son Jesus, which allows us to be in the throne, your throne room. Which allows us to, to look towards a future with hope and even with excitement knowing that our best days are ahead of us. As much as you provide for us now, it will be a distant memory as we, as we enjoy you in your presence for eternity. And God, as we discuss that, help us to be awestruck by your goodness, by your provision. Help us to look towards heaven with wonder and with gratitude. God, help us today as we go through your text, as we look at Isaac's life, help us to take a step closer to you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have, a couple, two, uh, two weeks ago, if you've been here for this series or watching online, 
Uh, we were talking about the life of Abraham, if you remember taking two steps forward and one step back. And uh, if you, you'd remember, too, the uh, promises that God had made Abraham to make him a nation through which he would save the world. Well, we're going to kind of fast forward through that, but back up from Isaac's life a little bit here in Genesis 18, where, where three strangers show up uh, to see Abraham. Uh, Genesis 18, 9 through 15. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. After years of hearing this promise from God about having a child with his wife, Sarah, Abraham and Sarah now have a date. They have a date that this is going to actually happen. Abraham, by the way, when he has Isaac, is 100 years old. Sarah is 90. I'd have laughed too. Right? Now they have a date. And here is one lesson I'm sure Abraham learned through this process. That is this. The Lord provides when we can't on our own. The Lord provides when it's impossible. The Lord does the impossible. Genesis 21, 1-7 through the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. You know, she was right. We still do laugh about this, don't we? I mean, we just did thousands of years later. Sarah was right. We laugh. Why do we laugh? It's, it's incredible. It's incredible in tes testimony that God can provide when it is impossible for us to provide on our own. What do you think one of the things that Abraham learned through this is God's promises are trustworthy. God's promises are trustworthy. You know, a hundred years. How many of those years is Abraham walking around waiting on God to fulfill that promise? He even takes matters into his own hands, doesn't he? But he still can't provide what God had promised. He had to wait. He had to wait. You guys, so often I think we grow impatient with the Lord, don't we? I thought this was going to happen in my life and it hasn't happened yet as if this was the last moment we would take a breath. A hundred years old, yet God's promises are trustworthy. In a seemingly hopeless 
situation, God did the impossible with a 100-year-old and a 90-year-old. But it's not the last time He would do something that impossible, is it? Look ahead into New Testament, Luke 18, 27. In, re- in regards to this, the supernatural birth that was going to be coming through the Virgin Mary, Luke 18, 27, but he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. We have this foreshadowing in some ways of Isaac's birth, of what was going to come, as God was going to give hope to the world. First through a nation, then through Jesus Himself. You know, God's timing is only for God to know. Again, Abraham and Sarah waiting years and years and years for the fruition of this promise that God had made them. But the time that was to come was only for God to know, not for them. You know, there's a saying that God's timing, He is never late, but He is seldom early. You've probably heard that before, and I'm sure you've experienced it. Maybe you're in a season right now where you're waiting on the Lord. Keep waiting. Keep faithful. Keep your hope and keep your trust. God is good. And He provides. Again, this second supernatural birth that would come. Jesus. You know, God has made the habit of doing the impossible. God has made the habit of doing the impossible. Do you believe that this morning? I want you to reflect on your lives. What has God done in your life that seemed impossible to you? Do we keep a record of these things? Because we should. I want to encourage you, if you don't have a record of these things, of answered prayers, of God's provision in your life when it seemed like it was impossible, like it couldn't happen, start taking a record now. Why? It's not just for your safe, yourself and your own faith, but it's for your children's and your children's children's faith. What do you hear, what do your kids hear you talk about with your relationship with the Lord? All the bad stuff that happens at church or God's faithfulness and his provision? What's the message your kids are hearing from you? What records are you keeping? Those records of all the wrongs that have happened to you by brothers and sisters in Christ, do they hear all about that? Or do they hear about the provision of God in your life? What do you think will guide them to a relationship with the Lord? What are we keeping a record of? What are we keeping accounts of? Keep account of God's goodness, His faithfulness, His provision, His mercy, Keep an account of those things. Keep an account of those things. It's not just good for you, but it is really good for you. But it's good for your kids, and it's good for your kids' kids. Because God is incredible. He's made a habit of doing the impossible. Think about your life, and again, what impossible thing He's done in your life. Boy, I could go on and on and on for hours about the impossible things he did in my life. Like taking a completely wrecked, prideful, arrogant jerk of a guy and making me slightly less of all those things. (laughs) But giving me hope and love, changing the direction of my life 
the course of my life, the course and direction of my kid's life, hopefully the course and direction of my grandchildren's life. You know how much of that I deserve? None of it. But God provides when it seems impossible. God provides when we can't do it on our own. That's the kind of God that we have. What impossible thing are you currently waiting for God on right now? What impossible thing? Listen, free commercial to our 6.30 p.m. communion and prayer service. If you're waiting on God to do something impossible in your life, you know, come to that service and let us pray with you and for you. You don't have to stand up in front of everybody. Just come up to me, another pastor, a deacon, a trusted brother or sister in Christ, and say, hey, would you pray for me? I'm waiting on God. That's all we need to know. Say, I'm waiting on God to do the impossible in my life right now. I know I can't do it. Would you pray for me? Let us join you in that prayer. The Lord provides when we can't on our own. Secondly, the Lord provides what we can't on our own. What we can't on our own. Moving ahead now, Genesis 22, looking at the sacrifice of Isaac. You know, the story is he's, he's had Isaac, this son, this promise of God. Now God tells him, hey, go and kill him. Abraham says, yes, Lord. Genesis 22, 9 through 14. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order, um, in, in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Again, we have this just gut-wrenching story. You know, I say this often, but I want to really make sure I'll probably say it every week. This isn't a fictional story. This is a historical, actual event. Abraham lives 100 years. He's waiting on God to fulfill this promise to give him offspring by his wife Sarah. It finally happens. He has this boy. He's growing. He's growing in his relationship. This is the promised child that he has. And God says, go and sacrifice him. Can you imagine the tears? The frustration? The anger? That Abraham must have felt? But somehow Abraham says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Abraham was willing because he had faith in God's promise. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 18 says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. 
You see, Abraham remembered the God's promise, and he remembered that God was trustworthy, and he remembered that God was faithful, and he said, you know what? God had made this promise. This is about him after all, not about me. This is about God's purpose. It's not about my life, so I'm going to obey him because I believe he's going to do what he said he's going to do. It was by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up his son because he remembered That God had said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Abraham was willing because he trusted God. Hebrews, uh, the next verse, verse 19 in Hebrews 11. He considered that God was able even to raise um, raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Why was he willing? Because he he remembered that God was faithful. And he trusted God that he was going to carry out this promise. That it was going to be through Isaac that his offspring would be named. So he was willing to do something incredibly difficult. God provided, in some ways, Isaac for a second time to Abraham. However, a sacrifice would still need to be made. And God provided that as well the ram caught in the thicket. And if it sounds familiar, it's because it probably should. John the Baptist had an encounter with a lamb that was going to be a sacrifice of God. In John 1, 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb that God provided Just like he provided for Abraham on behalf of Isaac, he has provided Jesus on behalf of you. And on behalf of me. He provided Jesus as a sacrificial lamb. When John the Baptist said, I'm sorry, let me reread it so I don't completely hack it. When John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, it wasn't because Jesus was white, cute, and woolly. It's because he was going to die a sacrificial death. But that death wouldn't get the final say, would it? That cross wouldn't be the end of the road. Because the, the Lamb of God that has taken away the sin of the world, the sin of me, the sin of you, also had the power to defeat the grave. He had the power to defeat sin. And he has risen again And he still lives. God has provided the sacrifice. Have you taken a hold of that sacrifice? Have you taken a hold of that sacrifice and the promise that comes with it in your life? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? And if you are, how is your life different today than it was before that happened? What has changed in your life? Did you simply say a prayer and then carry about doing everything the way you've always done it and no change has ever happened? Or are you submitted to Christ and His Lordship in your life after receiving this free gift, this free gift of life through our Lord and Savior, the Lamb of God, Is there a marked difference in your life? If not, if you've not yet submitted 
if you've not yet surrendered your life to Christ, make today the day that that happens. Make today the day that you trust in Jesus for your salvation. He can and He will change you. And our lives shall be changed as well. The Lord provides when we can't on our own. The Lord provides what we can't on our own. And the Lord provides who we can't on our own. You know, the people around us matter. Abraham is now old. God's still providing for him. Abraham says, grabs a servant who's, who's in charge of, his, of all of his possessions. They believe his name is Eleazar, which might be Hebrew for tinder. You'll get that joke later. Maybe you won't. Because he sends him out to find a bride for his son Isaac. That's when you might have been able to get that joke, but apparently not, so I'll move on. That's an 11 o'clock joke. All right. And this is what Eleazar finds when he gets to the Abraham's homeland in Genesis 24, verses 50 and 51. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you good, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be a wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. So what leads us up to this point, Abraham gets his servant, and he says, listen, I'm going to send you to my homeland. This is what you're going to say. This is what you're going to do. If they send you with a, a woman, uh, somebody from my own homeland, to be a, a son, or married to my son, so be it. Bring her back. If not, you're going to be loose from this covenant that I'm going to make with you. So he goes and he prays. Eliezer prays and he prays and he prays. And he comes up with this scheme of, you know, I'm going to go and get water. And, and if a lady comes up to me or a girl comes up to me and, and says these certain things, then I'm going to know, God, that she is the one that you're sending to be a wife of Isaac. So he goes and he gets to the well and, and all of these crazy things unfold exactly like he had prayed. And he knew, he knew that God was providing a wife for Isaac. He prospered in his way. You know, by the way, there's a little side kind of uh, point here. You don't have to be the main point in a story to receive a blessing for what God is doing. You know, we talk about Abraham a ton. We don't talk much about his servants, do we? That servant got to experience God and his provision in an incredible way. God was blessing that servant through his servant, Abraham. And he got to experience God's goodness and God's provision. Isn't it cool when the people around us have this incredible blessing from God? Do you think, do you think this servant was like, oh man, you know, that was really cool, but to be honest with you, I really wanted to find a wife while I was there too. Let's not get jealous of the way God's blessing brothers and sisters in Christ around us. Let's celebrate with them that God's provision is incredible. Let's celebrate. Let not jealousy be a thing that we wrestle with. Like, listen, God has a purpose for this. This is according to God's purpose. Let's celebrate His provision for one another. God provided in this story the perfect partner for Isaac. 
He, he provided the perfect partner for Isaac. Rebekah was going to be the, the, the human love of Isaac's life. And Isaac needed Rebekah, and Rebekah needed Isaac. Isaac, of course, the carrier of the promise of God that it was going to be through him that Abraham's offspring would be named. Yet even with that, even with what a great man Isaac was, he, he could be short-sighted sometimes. He needed Rebekah in his life. Genesis 25-21, And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. He needed his wife. The Lord spoke to Rebekah, Isaac's wife, and revealed an important truth about the twins that she was pregnant with and carrying. Those twins, by the way, are going to be the topic of our discussion next week. But listen, Genesis 25 and 23. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within, within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Now this is peculiar because it would be the firstborn son that would be the son that would, would, would be the one who'd get the inheritance. But it was through Rebekah that God told what he was going to do. Not Isaac. Isaac needed Rebekah and God knew exactly what, what Isaac needed when he sent to him Rebekah to be his wife. God provides just who we need in our lives. God puts the right people in our lives, doesn't He? Sometimes I think we look for the wrong people. But God puts the right people in your, in your life. Don't try to force it and make it happen on your own. Isaac had to wait as well. Listen, Genesis 25 and 20, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Ar Ar Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Ar Aramean, to be his wife. 40 years old. Isaac waited some time too. But God provides who we need in our lives. He provided who Isaac needed in his life. The last point is this, and this is the fun bit. The Lord provides beyond what we ever could on our own. The Lord's provision is extravagant. I mean extravagant. He provides abundantly. The next part of this sentence is incredibly important. He provides abundantly according to His purposes. God's provision is according to His purposes. Genesis 26, 12-14 And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that, that the Philistines envied him. God provided a ton for Isaac. A ton of physical possession. Land. Animals. He had, he had everything he could have ever wanted and more. And God's provision was extravagant, but he had a purpose with that, didn't he? He was going to use the offspring of Isaac to save the world. God has a plan sometimes with his, um, or uh, yeah, with, he has a purpose for his provision. You know, this is true. Uh, Isaac had to work still, 
He, he still had to go and plant the crops and all, that, all the rest of it, but it was God who provided the increase. There's a spiritual application, as this is true spiritually as well. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-9. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Let me give you a hint about this series and all the rest of them. The main points of these sermons aren't Abraham. They're not the main characters. It's not Adam. It's not Eve. It's not Lot. We're going to talk about Jacob and Esau next week. It's not, it's not about them. It's not about Isaac at all. It's all about God. It's all about God. His provision, his sacrifice. This is about God. God does provide extravagantly, but it's about him. And we need to know that. We need to place ourselves in submission to God and God's ways. Because when we don't do that, we read stories like this and say, God, I want you to provide for me like you did for Isaac. And we become spoiled children demanding more of God's provision in our life, not understanding that this is about him, not about us. We're looking at other people in our lives and saying, why do they have so much more than I do? Listen, it's about God. He provides according to His purposes. We should celebrate that truth. Now, does God always provide physical wealth in return for faithfulness? Like Isaac was faithful. Does God always return physical wealth for faithfulness? No. Now, God's provision is abundant. It's extravagant. It's incredible. He gives us so much. And yes, God does love us. He does love us as his children. He wants to give us good gifts. All those things are true. But we can't demand in-kind giving from God or in-kind blessing from our giving. It's okay to accept and enjoy the provision of God even in its abundance. It's not okay to demand it as part of our theology. It's what we would call prosperity doctrine. In other words, if I'm, I'm gonna, I need a new car, so I'm going to give you my car, then God would be forced his hand to give me a nicer car. If you believe that, I'll accept your car. But that makes it about who? God or us? Us. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about God. But God does bless faithfulness. Proverbs 28, 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Why are we faithful to God? So that he can bless us more or because we, he can accomplish his purpose through our lives? It's a big point for us to consider. We're going to wrap up. I'm going to ask the band to come up. I want, to, I want you to just think about some questions as we wrap up. Are you counting on God's provision in your life? Do, do you recognize and realize that this is about him? That, that all good gifts come from our Father in heaven? Do, do you recognize those things? Are you counting on God's provision in your life? You are loved by God. 
You are God's prized possession. He will provide for you everything you need according to his purpose for your life. So the next question is this. Are you living according to God's purpose for your life? Submitted and surrendered to him and him alone? Or maybe right now, are you not feeling like you're getting what you need in your life? Perhaps you aren't living according to God's purpose for your life. So some time to reflect on that. The fact that we can have this conversation about God's provision in our life. The fact that God provided the lamb, the sacrifice. The fact that we can, we can sing praises to God that brought many of us to tears, getting this glimpse of heaven. It's all about God's incredible provision according to His purpose for our lives, for His kingdom. And it came through a terrible price. It came through a terrible sacrifice. The Lamb of God, again, it's not about being white, cute, and woolly. It's about being a sacrifice killed on our behalf. Providing something for us that we could never have provided on our own. And not stopping there. But having victory over death. Having victory over sin. And giving us an opportunity to sit here together looking forward to this time of eternity where we'll be praying, we'll be, we'll be singing to God, holy, 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 in His presence with all the saints from all the world, from all the history of time. What incredible provision for us. Would you pray with me? God, You are holy. You are holy. You are good. You have provided for us abundantly, extravagantly, not even withholding Your only begotten Son. That He should be the Lamb of God. That He should take away the sins of the world. That He should die a death that was for us to die. And then He would have victory over death, victory over sin, and then You would give us that victory over death. That You would give us that victory over sin. That the power of sin, the power of death, would be no more, not because of anything that we could have ever done or deserved, but because of Your good provision. God, we worship You today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.